Just so I can tell my friends what this dream is about, okay? Where am I? Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back at the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up to their best weapon in the past. I'm Tristan. And I'm Greg. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We can still say that. What's the date today? Second? Third? Second. Second. That's pretty good. Second. It's, a, it's Saturday today. Well, now they'll listen to it on the, the fourth. That's acceptable. I've heard people say it in, you know, Easter and it's a bit weird. Yeah. But you've got the orthodox clock, you know. You've got to, <laughs> you've got to cater for that. Chinese people as well. It's true. Hey, I was thinking this is unrelated, but you just reminded me. I, I started watching Mandalorian, and you know when we've said before, mm-hmm. we're both not Star Wars people, but I started watching it because mm-hmm. why not? Mm-hmm. But it just raised a lot of questions because there's like Baby Yoda in it, right? Yeah, uh-huh. it is fifty years old, they say. But then what years? Because one year is the time it takes the Earth to go around the sun. Wow. They do they. What year? <laughs> what time period is a year? Yeah. There's no, is there a universal year in Star Wars? There probably wow. is, I guess. Some nerd would know that. Yeah. But isn't that strange? It is. Anyway, it just occurred to me. So not only do we have different New Year dates from Orthodox to Chinese to, you know, whatever. Intergalactic. We've got intergalactic different, uh, mm, how long is yeah. a year even? And what about inside the black holes? And what about inside computers? Oh, well. Who knows? Does time stand still? Oh, who knows? Jeff Bridges probably knows. He would know, wouldn't he? He's seen yeah. both worlds. He's seen it all. Um, did you have a good Christmas period? I did. It was quiet. I suppose, like many, many of us had a quiet Christmas and New Year's this year. Yeah, the COVID's really uh, picked back up in in old Sydney town. Well, enough for it to stop us doing stuff. Yeah, I went to my sister's house and my and Seymour, dog of the show, uh, tra- traumatized one of my nieces, but yeah. also the universe works in mysterious ways because you got attacked by a Rottweiler. I did. According to reports from Greg, he did a spinning <laughs> uh, a spinning splits kick that got the Rottweiler in right the face. Right in the face. Yeah. So truth be told, no one was around to see said attack, <laughs> which, which upsets me because it's probably the most badass thing I've ever done <laughs> or will ever do. The dog fully went for me, 50-plus <laughs> kilo Roddy. Um, and I kicked it square in the face with a, with an old fashioned front kick, just boom, got him <laughs> flush and he backed away. He waved a white flag. And then we kind of stared at each other and backed up. You're like, in this scenario, you're like the road runner and he mm. was the coyote. Correct. Did you consider painting a, a road <laughs> onto a wall? Oh, like a, a tunnel? <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. I run down the tunnel and then the Roddy chases me <laughs> yeah, and then the yeah. train comes out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Uh, in hindsight, hindsight yeah, 2020. Yeah, a bitch. Yeah. I was thinking of carrying something when I go running next because I was jogging when this happened. Yeah, like an anvil. Yeah. and I, Well, I was thinking <laughs> like, like a water bottle, my friend suggested. Ah, uh, yes, yes, But yes. now that you've mentioned it, an anvil is a great idea because you'd get – It's tried and tested. You'd get, um, you know, side benefits of the gains of carrying around, you know, 100 kilos. So weight. many gains. You run so far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Becomes a whole body workout. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. so there's a lot of dog activity over the break. Yeah. For both of us. Yeah. Did you do any binge watch? Have you done any binge watching? Not really. Oh, I've been watching Heartbreak High. That's, That's what I've right. Been, yeah, I've been watching a lot of Heartbreak High. I'm up to season four, <laughs> which is crazy because the first season is like 36 episodes. 
But then the second and third are like wow. 12 episodes. Heartbreak High, it's on Netflix. I wonder if it's on Netflix glo- globally. I'm not sure. I, I reckon not. I, I don't see. I, I figure it would be in like the why not bucket. I True, true, true. I don't know. It probably wouldn't cost that much more to get it licensed I, globally. My, I hazard a guess that it would be in, in response to Netflix having locally. Like locally you've got to have a certain amount of local content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, quote, a, to, a, uh, a local content quota. And they're going to make a new one. Ah, perfect. So, Netflix are? Yeah, yeah. So then it probably is a global thing. That's interesting. So if you're if in the 30% or 35% as it is now, the 12% over in the UK, it's all it should be there. Go check it out. The it 1% is, in the kingdom of Sweden. The 1% in the kingdom of Sweden. The um it's it's aged, but it is a nice there's a vibe they capture that is mm. accurate to the Sydney high school experience. Mm, Helvetta. Yeah, good. The banter is pretty accurate. It's a good background show. You don't have to pay a lot of attention. But there are some emotional very authentic, punches. Authentic characters. Yeah, and multicultural, which, oh, yeah. I, which didn't matter. At the, well, I, I didn't notice it at the time because it seemed normal. But mm. in hindsight, it's like, yeah, there weren't many shows like that. No. Neighbours is pretty white. Home and Away uh-huh. is pretty white. Yeah, but this is not the Heartbreak High pod. It's that, not. That's it's coming the Tron later. pod. <laughs> it's the Tron pod, um, a film which came out in 1982. Beautiful year. Was it? Was it? Can yeah. you take us there? Beautiful, yeah. Yes, 5th of May, Wednesday, 7.30 a.m. Oh. Susan Carney was in oh. labour and they had a baby called Greg. <laughs> Gregory. And Gregory and the umbilical cord was wrapped around my head. Oh, really? And I was starved of oxygen, which in hindsight explains many things. Ah, okay. Yep. Yeah. This is tracking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it tracked all the way to now. Um, of course, my birth year. Uh, Why did they call you Tron? I, I tried to get him to, like, <laughs> like T-Bone, like yeah. Costanza, trying to impart his own. You yeah. can't impart your own nickname. Yeah, I yeah, know. Believe me. I've tried T-Bone myself. Actually, some people do call me T-Bone. Yeah. <laughs> nah, nice. Nice. Um, do you, I'll give you a tidbit from 82. Yeah. Just a little one. Okay. Um, given the theme of our movie. Movie we're discussing today. Yes. Tron. Tron's mm. about video games kind of. Yeah. Did you know that in 1982 Universal Studios sued Nintendo Ooh. Co. Limited uh, over the likeness of Donkey Kong to King Kong? Oh, yeah. How did that one pan out? I can't remember. Well, if you like, I can read you an excerpt. This is from Wiki, the good people at Wiki. Oh, I, yeah. I, can I recommend you all donate to Wiki? Yes. It's only two amount. bucks. Small amount. If we all did it, yeah, I'd be they'd be rich. Yeah. Uh, so I'll read this uh, sort of summary from the. There's a wiki page on it if, mm. you, if you're really interested. I'm interested. Universal City Studio Inc. versus Nintendo Co. Limited was a case heard by the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York by Judge Robert W. Sweet. In their complaint, Universal Studios alleged that. Nintendo's video game Donkey Kong was a trademark infringement of King Kong, the plot and characters of which Universal claim as their own. Nintendo argued that Universal had themselves Uh, proven that King Kong's plot and characters were in the public domain in Universal City Studios Inc. vs. RKO General Inc. A precedent, as it were. Mm. Sweet ruled that Nintendo had acted in bad faith by threatening Nintendo's licensees and that it had no right over the name King Kong or the characters and the story. He further held that there was no possibility for consumers to confuse Nintendo's game and characters with the King Kong films and their characters. Universal appealed the case, but the verdict was upheld. 
The case was a victory for Nintendo, which was still a newcomer in the US market. The case established Nintendo as a major player in the industry and arguably gave the company the confidence that it could compete with the giants of American media. Wow. The old public domain. Yeah. So apparently Jimi Hendrix goes into public domain next year. Yes. I've been looking a lot into this since doing the YouTube channel. I'm trying to learn. Shall we do some covers? (laughs) I think, yeah, right? (laughs) Take it easy, Michael Michael Winslow. Michael Winslow's (laughs) not in the public domain. Yeah, yeah. I'll have Winslow's, be Winslow v. V. Carney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll hear a police siren. It's (laughs) Michael Winslow's coming down the street (laughs) doing all of these different wacky voices. I think it would be worth it. (laughs) It would be absolutely worth it. Like we've always said, if we ever pushed it too far in terms of copyright on the pod here, it to get a cease and desist from Jean-Claude Van Damme would be an honour. It's one of our business goals. <laughs> it's a milestone that we haven't yet hit. So if you're, if you're listening. Yeah. yeah. Or even the use of feel the impact. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big year for um, Nintendo. Yeah. It was quite a year and perhaps the first time we've done this year, is it? I think we've done it. I th- oh, maybe not. I yeah. thought we had because I feel like. I think I thought we've done all. I've of had now. the opportunity to crack the gag about it being my birth year ah. that we get every time. It's 1985. 84. <laughs> <laughs> 84 is a pretty good year. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> we're here to talk about Tron. Tron. Yeah. Sorry, I was thought we were, I was going to say Heartbreak High. Yeah. Oh man, I, I wish forgot my gag. The, the heartbreaking thing about that about Heartbreak High is that no one else is watching it. I have no one to talk to about it. Ara's not interested. She walks in the room and I give her a bit of an update. Like, Steve's missing. They think he might be dead. <laughs> <laughs> and that doesn't get her in? Doesn't get her in. Draz doesn't get her in? Uh, Rose is pregnant. She's keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> Which one's right? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yeah. okay, 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 okay. Why would okay. Nick cheat on Jody, man? I just don't get it. Anyway, um, yes. big year for Donkey Kong lawsuits. Big uh-huh. year for, for public domain and precedent and, and, and common law. Is that a thing? No, that's probably not the thing. It should be. Um, l- laws and such. Uh, things, hammery things, hitting the things. Hamel. It's not a hamel. Objections abound. But yeah. uh, also a big year for Torts. movies. Torts. <laughs> the Constitution. Uh-huh. Civil rights. Civil rights. Uh, big year for all those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big year for movies too. Uh, number one movie in the world with E.T., a movie we actually watched recently, which we're going to be covering on the pod soon. Yeah, we, yeah. we saw it at the cinema. Yeah. Uh, thanks to our friends cinema. at uh, Val Morgan, Magic uh-huh. of Cinema. Yeah. Well, well worth looking at six that on the time, big screen. Six times the engagement for all your advertisers. It's true. It's a fact. Um, almost as impactful as podcast advertising, advertising, advertising. Double impact podcast at gmail.com. Um, second biggest movie in the world was Tootsie. The third biggest movie in the world was An Officer and a Gentleman. Then came Gandhi. Then came First Blood. Wow. Then came Rocky Three, Poltergeist. Porky, Porky's was number eight. This is not a great year for film. It's a, it's all over the place. It's a, it's eclectic. It's eclectic. Um, number nine, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Number ten, Das Boot. But coming in at number twenty-seven that year was this particular movie we're talking about today, Tron. <laughs> But yes, Tron came out in July of 1982, budget of $17 million with a gross of $50 million. 
Um, you know, it's one of those movies that's gone on to, wow. to be more of a cult hit over time. Yes. Quite iconic. Absolutely. Uh, a lot more iconic than some of those top tens we saw. So what's in a number, I ask you? Mm. What's in a number? Well, I'll tell money. you. Yeah, number, lots of money. And, and <laughs> Rotten Tomato scores as well. They, they come in number form. So critic score was 72%. Audience score was 69%, which I don't find – that's not surprising. It's, it's probably a bit of a polarising movie, I oh. guess. Surely. Um, I'm very curious for your take on it, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you haven't seen this before. I hadn't seen this before but was familiar with the material, do the old plot prediction. But um, this was my pick, so why don't I give a bit of background on why why I picked it? Because I've been wanting to watch this for a while. That's basically the – Oh, that, there, you, there you go. Is there the more thing. to it than that? A little bit. What triggered your desire? You, had, you hadn't seen it either, right? And and I probably just never saw it for the same reason. I just wasn't all that interested in it for mm. a long time. <laughs> yeah. And then I think just in the last few years, over time, there's been little things that have just made it a little bit more interesting. Like Tron the, Legacy? Yeah, well, Tron Legacy, I was never interested in seeing that. But then when I heard Daft Punk did the soundtrack because they were obsessed with Tron, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Mm. Um, Such and, a Daft Punk thing to say. Yeah, right. And then, you know, slowly realising, oh, Jeff Bridges is in that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then and then a few months ago I watched um, – Cor- Corridor Crew YouTube channel. They do lots of visual effects breakdowns and things. Oh. It's a very good channel. I Sounds strongly good. recommend. Um, they did a special on this and uh, I was like, oh, it's so interesting. It's so interesting. Now I really want to watch it. Mm. I'm going to watch it right now. <laughs> well, then I didn't. I held <laughs> off. And went because I was up to season three climax of Heartbreak High. No, no. Well, this was because we picked ten movies at a time. So mm-hmm. this is like the end of this batch of ten. Oh, so I yeah, picked this like three months ago. So I've been dying to watch this and I've refrained because I wanted a pure experience yeah. for the pod. Cool. But yeah, so then, then now we're finally watching it. But because of all those, because of that breakdown, I knew about all the plot and, and whatnot. But Gregory, you were less familiar with the film and you, you did a little plot prediction as is customary for this type of situation. Yeah. Should we have a listen? Yeah, I can't remember what I said. This was recorded before viewing for uh, context. Yeah, I think I had, I'd seen something. Yeah, it sort of told me a bit. It seeped what, into pop culture, you know. You yeah. probably just osmosis it into you. Yeah, and something like just as I was about to watch it, <laughs> like a plot. There's a, a world inside the computer, and there's a powerful overlord that's taking over all the other computers, and it's going to try. And bring in a real life person so that they can then overtake that person and enter the real world and then take over the real world and computerize everything into the future. And they call it Tron. <laughs> that was Greg's plot prediction and a lot of a lot of eating. <laughs> I was having dinner. Hey, I but t- I Conveniently timed the plot prediction for my meal. Now I haven't seen I haven't seen Tron Legacy, but I think the idea of the computer going into the real world would then be a good sequel. Yeah, like you didn't kill him, and actually he's somehow come out. I had Dominoes. <laughs> yeah, not far off. That's pretty close. Pretty close. You inverted it, but mm. otherwise, I think I'd read the Overlord bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know. It is what it is. Hey, it's an iconic movie. So sometimes these things just get in into your brain. You don't even know how. Yeah. Simpsons references, South Park references, all the, all of the Family above. Family Guy. Family Guy references, references, references. Mm. 
Um, but should I get into the origin story? Yeah. Origin story. Okay, I'm I'm looking forward to this origin story. Yeah. I feel well, like it could be a juicy nectarine. It's it's interesting. I'm not going to go too deep into the special effects stuff in this mm. in, in this origin story because it's kind of a topic of all on its own. Mm-hmm. I'll touch mm-hmm. on it, but mm-hmm. I'll deep dive later. Um, but this does all start. This is this is a relatively single minded vision, but you know many many people involved in bringing that vision to life. But oh, in yeah. terms of it's can be traced back to one man. That man is Stephen Lisberger. Wow. Steve. Steve, as he's known to his mates. He's the writer and director, um, but he's always been a, an animator. Um, yep. from, from, he always wanted to be an animator. He was animating. He, he made student films, um, a, a bunch of them, all quite surreal and out there and cosmic uh-huh. and trippy. Um, he had a, a cartoon short called Cosmic Cartoon, which was nominated for a Student Academy Award. Didn't know that was a thing. I think that was the first – he said that was the first – year of Student Academy Awards and I'd argue it might be the last because I've never heard of it either. Mm. But I guess why would we have? Um, although in this process you would think it would come up. Yeah. Maybe not many people you know, posted. he did really well in the studies and then went on to. Well, actually, look, he, this guy has made this movie. That's a huge accomplishment. He's made a few other movies but he hasn't. Cracked it. He hasn't made it. You look at his filmography, this isn't, you know, a Spielberg or, or even a Christopher Columbus or a, mm. you know, mm. you think it might be but it ain't. Mm. Um, so maybe the studio has always kind of got to boast about and hence why we're hearing about it for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, yeah. Um, but needless to say, he was quite an arty guy yep. in, in his approach to animation and he had a bit of an arty crew that he did this stuff with. Um, but eventually, as, as many arty folk eventually learn, there's a commercial reality of trying to pursue this life. Uh-huh. Got to eat. You got to eat, and you got to be able to fund the the, the women resource, the women, the the resources to animate the people, the other the other workers, and oh, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and so you're talking about just bringing the ideas to life. Yeah, but also having the money to even have ideas to mm. bring to life, and you know that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. like many people in a similar situation, he looked to the world of advertising, and oh. um, Liz Berger Studios was born. They did a bunch of ads random American stuff I'm not too familiar with, but they did stuff for the 1980 Olympics. They did um, stuff for Sesame Street and Ooh. all kinds of interesting animations and such. Okay. So that was kind of the, the commercial engine was, in fact, commercials. I would love to know what they did for Sesame Street. I think it's like those, I don't know if this one specifically, but you know how there's like the one, two, three, I was, four, five. Was, I wonder if it is that one. I should look into I, that. It's got a similar vibe. That's where I went. It's got a very similar vibe. Now... Uh, along this path came a really specific interest in what they call backlit animation, which yep. which was the trend at the time, but often the trend for background to show like sparkly neon lights and things in the background. But he was like, what if we made a backlit character, a character that was all the lines were backlit? Yeah, right. Um, you can probably see where this is going. Yeah, um, sure so they made a little a little demo. John did a drawing of a line character and then we transferred it to Codalus and we backlit it. And that test was this liquid neon character and he was electronic. And since he was electronic, we nicknamed him Tron. In his first carnation, just this little test, he smashed these two discs of light together and, and they exploded and circled around and came back. 
And um, it was, it worked out really well, that little piece of animation. And so we had this electronic warrior as a character in the studio, but we weren't sure what we were really going to do with that yet. So Tron was sort of born in a way mm-hmm. at that point. Now they did go on to sell that <laughs> to make some cash. They sold that little animation that listeners didn't see to a bunch of different radio stations across the country as their radio promos. Nice. <laughs> Rock 94 and a half, WCOZ <laughs> FM. <laughs> Mornings. <laughs> so the DNA of this, this Tron-like entity mm-hmm. and aesthetic was born, but they didn't know what they were going to do with it yet. But somewhat serendipitously, the game Pong came out at around the same time. Mm-hmm. And Steve, Steve-O sees this and goes, well, that's his arena. That's Tron's arena. Those two things go together beautifully. He lives there. He lives there. Um, that's his battleground. That's yeah. his, you know, uh, Tron's that's his operating Coliseum. that thing. That's his Coliseum over there. Um, it's his running man, as it were. Um, but this technique of backlighting and this aesthetic of, you know, th- that Tron that they made with the the video game kind of vibe, the computery uh-huh. kind of vibe, they knew there was something there. Yeah, and this is still the seventies, mind you. So this is this is pretty out there thinking. Would you say it was at this stage? It was a, a seedling. It was a seed of an idea, a seed. They started with that seed of an idea, and they started to to water it, started to nurture it, started to grow it, and mm. they started to elaborate on well, what would life be like inside a computer? What does that world look like? Both sort of technically, but also existentially a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the mm-hmm. what's the psyche of exactly? What would that look like as a society? Yeah. All of the above, yada, 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 yada. Oh, and, you know, the, the religious parallels and whatnot mm-hmm. with the users yes, and the, you know, yes. that kind of shit. So they, they did get to a script and some concept art and this idea of blending live action with animation and CGI. And they took that to Disney. Um, they didn't totally understand it, but they believed in this guy. Steve-O had some gusto. Steve-O had some passion. Mm. You know, like this, we're investing in this guy. Yeah, we no, want to be... In the Steven Lisberger business. Yes. And you got uh, context at the time was Disney was in a bit of a rut. Mm-hmm. There was a sort of in, in between stage. They weren't really slinging out hits. There was no acquisition of Marvel and LucasArts and, you know, yeah. all those kinds of things. It was. Bit of, bit of Mickey. Uh, bit of Mickey, bit of Herbie the Love Bug, bit of yeah. re releasing of old animations. They didn't really have an identity mm-hmm. other than being a bit old fashioned. Mm-hmm. So they were looking for something new that the kids would be into. Mm. Somewhat controversially, though, because this whole CGI thing terrified a lot of the people at Disney. You know, they, yeah. they took her gerbs, yeah. that kind of thing. Although, interestingly, we'll get into it in the um, in the, the special effects deep dive. There's a lot more handmade animation than one might expect in this thing. Oh. After all, it was it was the early '80s. But Disney's interested. They did a test. They it was so hard to conceive of what this guy was talking yeah. about. There's all this theoretical stuff up here, but what are you actually going to make? Uh-huh. And so they gave him some cash to make a test. And you'll like this. They actually got World Frisbee champion in to, to help <laughs> do the modelling and stuff. So they it, should. Yeah, why not? Don't cut corners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it turned out to be Jeff Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise you. He, he probably loves a bit of Frisbee golf. Oh, he would. <laughs> he really would. Man. <laughs> um, the test blew Disney away. The CGI was still a bit of a concern in terms of the man hours and that kind of thing it's going to take. Yeah. Because at this point, I'll get into this in more detail later, but at this point you could make computer-generated stills, but you couldn't make computer-generated movement. And we take for granted the the ability to have an interface and you just have a shape there and you move the shape and then it's an animation. Like the sh- even the shit you can do in PowerPoint as an animation, you know, 
doesn't exist. Mm. Um, so we'll get into that a little bit later. That's, but that's hard say, to believe now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's a daunting task. I'll get into how they did it later, but you can see why that's the thing where it's like, do you really need to do that though? Because that sounds absurd. And on top of that, it would take days for the computer to process these things as well. So it's Ugh, it just seems loading. like why would we do that if we need if we don't need to do that? But he's stuck to his guns and he's like, we need to do this fucking thing this way. Yeah, just like with the frisbee guys, cutting no corners. Exactly. <laughs> you yeah. need. I want the. Best. It sounds like a very. I'm not gonna, very specific Steve Jobs type person. <laughs> I want the best frisbee person in the world. I don't want some regional trophy man. You what? Would you a silver medalist? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> they just bring in the kid that had their frisbee stuck on the neighbor's roof. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of the best, from a design point of view, from costume design and set design and the different vehicles and such, they brought in two key minds to, to lead that design. One of which we've talked about before. One I don't think we have, but we yeah. will surely talk about again. From a design point of view, they brought in um, Sid Mead. He's an industrial designer and neo-futurist concept artist. He also right. worked on Blade Runner, but previously he'd worked at like Ford and stuff, designing like the futuristic shit. Wow. So he just he designed the the, the light bikes or whatever they're called. What are they called? Light oh, bikes? Yeah. Oh, yep. The tanks, all that kind of stuff. You can kind of see those technical things mm. he designed. Yeah. But then the more kind of out there psychedelic almost designs like the costumes and that weird guy that looks like a sphinx at the end, yep. <laughs> that kind of shit. Uh-huh. That was none other than John Gerard, a.k.a. Mobius, who we talked about on the Fifth Element episode. Yes. He's got that very specific style that you know mm. when you see it. He's worked on a few movies as well. Uh, between the two of them, they kind of, a lot of the visual aesthetic of, of this of, movie of is, is, is down to those guys. And it was a nice complimentary thing because one was quite technical and, one was quite sort of out there and emotional and abstract and it was, it was an, so those Mary, two things coming the together. Yin and the Yang, absolutely. Yeah. That Sphinx guy was wild. Yeah, <laughs> wasn't expecting that. No, man. I thought, oh, it's some kind of chair. Oh, it's got a face. <laughs> yeah. It was a bit like a Mighty Boosh-esque. Yeah. Oh, Noel Fielding would love this. Yeah. He would. I hadn't thought of that until. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into this a bit more too, but I keep thinking how now having watched it, obviously extremely late to the party, mm-hmm. and you can see where it has been influential. But at the same time, I'm like, why hasn't anyone tried to do more of something like this? Mm-hmm. So the controversy aside, with some of the older folks at Disney, uh-huh. it's greenlit. We're doing this. It's a go. Shit is coming together. But there was a live action element, which means they need live action humans. Mm. Yeah. Um, ideally with, you know, great bone structure and such. Uh, and so this is where I'll get into casting. Ah. Now, there are a couple of precasties, but I didn't find any precasties for, for our main man, Jeff Bridges, but I did have a little clip of him talking about his excitement and why he took the role. Good. What was so exciting about Tron was that it was really groundbreaking stuff that this guy was going to do. You know, I, I was going to play a character who, who gets sucked inside a computer and the entire film will take place inside the computer. And I said, oh my God. I thought, well, this is, this is uh, interesting. It's kind of uh, risky and uh, chancy, but man, it's a, it's a tough one to turn down because it's uh, a chance to really do something very new. So uh, I got on board. I've had really good luck with first time directors, you know. Uh, 
I did Michael Cimino's first film, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. That was his first time out of the gate. And um, Steve, uh, I could tell after that first meeting how deeply steeped he was in, into this thing, and he really knew his stuff. So again, maybe didn't totally understand what he was getting into, but believed in this in this guy. I really love Jeff Bridges. <laughs> right? Isn't he great? He's- National it was treasure. delightful seeing a young Jeff because I haven't seen much. Yeah, young. Agreed. Yeah, and actually getting him helped them get the, a lot of the other cast too. Mm-hmm. Not all of them though, because um, it was um, Peter O'Toole was initially cast as oh, D- Dillinger, Dillinger, and he showed up and he's like, "Where, where are the tanks I read about?" I'm like, "Oh no, they're all like they don't exist yet." <laughs> he's like, "Nah, this is dumb. I'm out of here." Really? <laughs> he's like, "Fuck this." <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia himself. Oh, and actually, I did have a precasting for um, for, uh, for for Flynn for Jeff Bridges, which was early on in the early days of the script. They had him being more comedic with a with a young Robin Williams in mind. Oh, which could have been interesting too. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in terms of the other cast, we had Bruce Boxleitner as Alan and Tron himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know a lot about this guy, but he was apparently. Uh, in a lot of westerns and such. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> never heard of him before. Maybe, yeah, neither. Maybe I that's a blaring omission from my. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Bernard Hughes as Dr. Walter Gibbs. Are you a Bernard? Are you? I'm a Bernard. Oh, I think it's because I've been watching Westworld. They say Bernard. Bernard. Yeah. Let us know if you're a Bernard or a Bernard. <laughs> yeah, I'd love. Yeah, we'll do a little survey on Instagram. <laughs> Spell exactly the same. <laughs> do you say? <laughs> yes. Uh, coming soon. Great, great joke coming soon. <laughs> Almost as good as all the times I've been saying, see you next year. Oh, yeah, you drop a few Yeah, But they got David Warner instead of Peter O'Toole for Dillinger. David Warner? David Warner, not the cricketer. Oh. <laughs> um, but he's, he's been in lots of stuff, The Omen and uh, yeah. other, other things. In The Omen, is he? Yeah. He's one of those guys, very familiar face, but I don't know if I have any iconic like things in my head of him. I like him. I like him too. Um, and another precasty, Debbie Harry auditioned for the role oh. of Dr. Laura Baines and slash Iori. But it went to Cindy Morgan in the end. It sure did. It sure did. And, you know, just to wrap up the origin story, they all wore G-strings. Yes. Yeah, they did. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't, because people inside a computer wouldn't have panty lines. So? And I'm talking about the men too. They call them a dancer's belt. <laughs> <laughs> but Jeff Bridges explains it in that documentary and he's like, well, I guess it's a G-string. <laughs> dancer's belt? It's got a dancer's belt, which is essentially a G-string. It's what dancers wear. I am going to refer to G-strings here on forward. <laughs> as dancer's belt. Baby, you see my dancing belt? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? It's just a dancer's belt. Yeah. We're going dancing. Yeah, exactly. Bish, bash, bosh, you get yourself a movie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where's the rap party? There's no rap party. What? <laughs> rap party at Flynn's. Yeah, okay. nice. I'd love a rap Flynn's party. Bedroom? Yeah. The computer, an extension of the human intellect. The NCOM 511, center of the most calculating intelligence on Earth. Programmed by Master Control to survive by all means. Soon, the ultimate tool will become the ultimate enemy.
I still do not understand why you want to break into the system. Because, man, somewhere in one of these memories is the evidence. Hey, 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 it's the big master control program everybody's been talking about. Kevin Flynn, computer genius. Taken prisoner and held captive within the digital world of the computer itself. Trapped inside an electronic arena where love and escape do not compute. that was La Fontaine. Do you? I don't think that was La Fontaine. No, it didn't feel like him unless it was his, what do you call the person, it was his avatar on the computer. Oh, his program. His program. Could be. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, not a La Fontaine special, so it probably requires a little bit more explanation. Yeah, a little bit. Say. A little bit. Look, um, so you got some young dude, Flynn, yep. uh, he made a bunch of famous arcade games. Then he got backstabbed by some stiff in a suit, Dillinger. Yeah. Uh, who went on to be the CEO of this company. I think the company was called Skynet or Pixar. <laughs> yeah. One of those. One of those. Let's go with Skynet. Yeah. So anyways, this company has a master computer program. Uh, it's getting smarter by the second. It's planning to take over the world. It needs Dillinger to feed him information, I think. Right for world domination. Mm-hmm. Needs an enslaved to feed him. Mm. Little Shep of Horrors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much identical. Yeah. The whole film, really. <laughs> Just needs Steve Martin. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so there's this really, 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 really hot chick. Oh, Rick Moranis is Flynn. Good work. Yeah. He's more of a nerd, too. He's got glasses. Oh, and Honey, I shot the kids' laser thing. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Fucking, it's Rick Moranis. It's Moranis film. It all comes back to Moranis. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, yes, yeah, sorry, so there's a really, really, really hot chick, but she's wearing glasses, so you know she's smart. Glasses are She was place. quite hot, wasn't she? And she's from Caddyshack. Where was I? Yes, she works at a Skynet too, along with her boyfriend who's also pretty handsome and also has glasses. Yeah, he looked like he definitely didn't need glasses. Yeah, he looked He looked like... He looked like the head of a hip church, like Hillsong. <laughs> he was quite clean cut. <laughs> with those glasses. He was like Flanders. <laughs> Yeah. Call him stupid, sexy flanders for nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Now, where was we? Uh, <laughs> so they're both there. There's a good employment hiring policy at Skynet. Yeah. Everyone's hot. Mm. 
So they realise something's up. Our handsome boyfriend gets access rejected from MCP. Mm. That's the computer program. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they go get Flynn because they know that he also had some beef with the Skynet people. Mm. Uh, he goes snooping around in there and he gets lasered by an MCP and pulled into the into the computer, digitised yeah. brick by brick mm. using the uh, digitisation technology Hot Chick and Old Man had been working on. Mm. So inside he goes, there's another world where computer programs are being gobbled up by Master and he makes them play games like Jai and Crashy Bikes. Um, that's quite cool. Then I kind of tuned out for a bit, um, but they ended up beating Master Computer and Flynn becomes CEO and he has a helicopter. Um, so that's kind of it. And it's also a love story uh, between two men and one really, really, really hot science babe. One hot program. Oh, uh, yeah. It is weird. She kisses them both at the end. Yeah, that's right. It's weird. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's... I mean, you Where know, it's going? 2020, it's love, I'm open-minded. and what, I'm open-minded and I, but just in terms of what you expect in a movie like this, well, gonna, she might. kisses the, like Jeff Bridges and like, oh, okay, well, they're, they're a thing now. But, then, but just like in the very next scene just kisses the other dude yeah, too. Yeah, and then she goes, now you two kiss. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it should have ended. So, you know, they might catch a virus. Yay! <laughs> But did you enjoy it? You mentioned you tuned out there. I've I've been wanting to ask you if you if you enjoyed it, and I didn't want spoilers, but I really am curious. Look, it. I'll be honest. It took me a couple of goes. Yeah. Um. I lose interest when they go inside the machine, and I know that that's most of the movie. Yeah. Um. But specifically, I think I lost a bit of interest when they go on their little Wizard of Oz journey after the bikey crashy bit. Yeah. Um. Because that, that up until they're inside the computer, I really enjoyed. The setup of like what you're referring to in the mm. in the origin story when you talked about the existential bit of what you know how the programs talk to each yeah. other and and the notion of the users and that's that was cool that was cool it took me a while to totally understand what was happening though yeah yeah in a good way because I yeah. liked it it was like you know a, a movie like this in the wrong hands there would be an opening crawl you know going. In, yeah. in 1982, a supercomputer is made. Mm, that, mm. You know, yeah, that's a good point. Or there'd be a voiceover or something. But I like how at first you'd just be like, but wait, what? And they didn't, I mean, they did explain it, but they kind of drip fed it a little mm. bit. At first I was like, oh, these, are these other people that have been sucked in? Mm. Oh, no, they're all programs, but they talk about themselves like people, but that's just how they talk because as far as they know, they are people, I guess. But mm. yes, because mm. that guy's like, you know, I work in finance or whatever. Yeah. But he's, yeah, he's a, he's a, Compound interest algorithm yeah, or something. I help, I help people plan for their future. <laughs> yeah. Right? So. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, did he get sucked in too? No, he's the program that, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's cool. Um, but yeah, my, I, like I said, I've been waiting to watch this. I've, I, I kind of had a sense that there may be that kind of challenge with this movie. So I watched it in here in the studio. Yep. Lights down, sound up. Do you, what chair do you sit in this one? Yeah, I moved that over here. I'm right up here for my up here. <laughs> nice. And it's just no distractions I'm in. Yep. And I did find myself getting distracted a little bit and I, I really disciplined to like I didn't catch that rewind. I think because I my entry point into this movie was that thing that broke down the special effects. I was like almost like out of respect. Yeah. I want to see like all the things they did. Mm-hmm. And man, I was like pretty blown away. It's out there, man. <laughs> it just visually, there. like regardless of the plot and everything, just visually it's so weird. Mm. 
fascinating. <laughs> yeah. It's art. It's just weird art. It's it's hard to so the you know the premise of our show is yeah. does it hold up sort yeah. of thing. But it is pretty hard to watch this without the context of the time of this being made is kind of paramount to the whole thing. Yeah, I think so too because I think it's hard to, especially if, if you're conscious of what they've done before you watch it, you can't separate that from no. what you're watching. So yeah. like this meta level of knowing all that as you're watching it, everything that sits behind that even being on the screen, you're like, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so I don't think that if you were going to be really strict about is it outdated? Well, that would be easier to make now. I don't think that makes it more outdated. It's still a crazy piece of art that they made with like minimal resources, and it's still stylish. Like it's a style. It's, yeah, it's a it's a stylized choice. It's not just you know it, technically they could do this, so they did. It was more like we want to do something like this. How can we do it? And they used everything they possibly had at their disposal to, to, to do make it. That happen. And then through limitations, some of those stylistic choices were forced, but in a you know, like uh, limitation and uh, constraint. constraint, you know, we love that shit. I'll, I'll get into the special effects a bit later. But, yeah, the because uh, it was a bit of a confusing journey for me at the start. I thought I'd share some of my initial notes as I was watching this thing. Mm. So in the beginning when Jeff Bridges was initially hacking, I, I, I'm like, is he playing a game? Is, is, is the way he is hacking, is the interface of that a game? Mm. But in a... In reflection, I think that he was that's just, just hacking. He was just hacking, but then the program was manifested Playing as a game. <laughs> yeah, it looked like a game. And then, then I was like, "Well, then, but th- those things he is shooting are in a game as well." Mm. So, but this, it wasn't all a game in there. There was like a world and games. Yeah. So I guess it, and then I'm like, okay, so I guess this is like a Wreck It Ralph situation where it's all everything's just in there. Mm. And yes, that thing's in a game in his arcade, but it's also being used as a security thing at, mm. at this point. But they didn't really over-explain that, so it's just weird at first, which, again, I kind of like. I like being a little bit lost in these things sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, the other one I, was, I thought was interesting. Did Jeff Bridges make a deal for a modesty robe? Because no one else had this half robe thing going on, which kind of covered the old gut and the old groin. I missed that. Everyone else had full full bulge action. He did. He did have his um, dancer's belt on for for the, the, for the ass shots. Maybe, potentially, yeah. Mm. It could have served a double purpose because I found him quite. I found some of the characters hard to distinguish. Yeah, me too. Yeah. on account of them being all white, <laughs> yeah, and just you, sort of greyed out faces with minimal. Yeah, I found him hard to distinguish, especially. Tron in the bike and scenes, and things. yeah, 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 and even Jeff Bridges in some of the yeah, scenes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. They should have had names, name badges on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello, I'm Tron. Yeah, that'll be really handy. Yeah. It works at you know conventions and things. Yes. They should really think about doing that uh-huh. in, in most movies. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was interesting too. They use the word electronic a lot. What and Tron itself coming from the word electronic. I guess that's something that these days it would be more. The naming, the the language around it would be, you know, digital and things like mm-hmm. that, whereas there was electric, which I, was interesting. That is interesting. Because we don't really say that now. Because, yeah, what would Tron be oh, yeah, called now? Yeah, you still say electronics. Yeah, what would, yeah, what would it be called? Tal. Tal. Jit. Webby. Webby. <laughs> Webmaster. I did have Bowser. a... Bowser. <laughs> <laughs> I did have a thought mm. that it would be a really tough, it would be a shitty time to be a 
supercomputer in 1982. Yeah, because you have to take up a whole house. You got to take up all that room. You got no internet. Mm. None. You can't. Yeah. Well, that's the crazy thing to think about too. Is like, yeah, we didn't have internet yet, and what they had envisaged for this world is very much like the internet. Mm. And I think there was a period maybe in the early 90s or so where it was probably looking like this movie is ageing poorly. But now where the internet is now and things like Facebook profiles and things, this idea of a digital persona being out there Mm. is almost pretty accurate. (laughs) It's fact, yeah. 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 So it's funny because, yeah, I think growing up you're like that seems so outdated and tacky but then actually it ain't that far off of what we've become and a lot of people spend more – the digital persona is more of their life than their yeah. the other one is. You could argue they've been sucked into the computer world. Mm, wow. <laughs> We've got a button wow. for that, Greg. There you go. <laughs> wow. Wow. How dare Three you nice. say that without pressing the button? Oh, it, was, <laughs> it, was a, it was an organic wow. It was organic wow. So I thought that was very interesting. Mm. And we've discussed the kiss at the end. That was, yeah, that was my other question. But uh, we've covered that, I think. <laughs> At length. I mean, they were both babes. Young Jeff Bridges is is quite a uh, he's a bit of a babe. He's got a, a swashbuckling suaveness about him. He does. He would be a Jack Sparrow if they made it in those days, wouldn't he? Yeah, oh, he'd, he'd get a look in. Yeah. Or Kurt Russell. Oh, yeah. Kurt Russell's maybe just a little spicier. They could be a good duo where he's more of the clown. And they're like twins. Oh, that would work nicely. Poor Bo Bridges not considered, but... <laughs> 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 Every time I watch a Jeff Bridges movie, I can't help thinking about Bo Bridges. He's in stuff. He's in stuff. All he got was the eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the voice. I think he got the voice to a degree. Mm, and he's good. good. He is in stuff. He is good. He's good. But he's got a he's, couple of Emmys, I believe. Does he? I, I believe. <laughs> Dad's the OG. Yeah, that's right. He was in Seinfeld. Yeah, he was funny. He's he was in like great. hot shots and oh, that's right. He's in, and stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He might even be a naked. No, he's not a naked. Guy. I don't think so. Yeah, hot shots is the one. I'm, uh, and he's funny. He's great. He's great. Oh man, we've talked a bit about supercomputers and the, and the special effects. Should I actually dive into this now and give a little bit of a breakdown of how give they us, give actually us a breakdown. did this thing? Yeah. Now, I think I think what's special about this movie something I didn't consider before watching it and diving deeper into how they did it, was it's not just the first use of CGI. It's not just all new stuff. Mm. It's this combination of old stuff. There's a lot of hand-done manual animation in this and old-school filming use of film and CGI, which had never been done before. So it's kind of like, you know, you've got groundbreaking movies like Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Which does uh-huh. brings animation to, and you got other movies that bring. This guy, this did both. It's like this marriage of all these things. Mm. Like you were saying with the, the 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 set designer and the costume, you know those the yin and yang of that. It's also the yin and yang of this old and new, and it's fascinating. And it brings together just this weird, unique aesthetic that is kind of mm. can only be done once. Yes. Um, so I'll break this down in sort of the manual artistry and then the CGI. So um, basically the way they did this was they shot all the live action and then from that point on almost treated it like an animation. So what I mean by that is they shot the action frame by frame, got those blown up to I think 14 inches. Every individual frame was blown up to 14 inches. Impressive. So there's 24 frames per second 
and it's, they had 75 minutes of live footage. So that's like 100, 108,000 frames, mm. frame by frame. They're doing this thing. So they've got 108,000 frames with which to play around and manipulate mm-hmm. the world of Tron. Create. this, Yeah, this, create this world of that's Tron. That's the base. Yes. Now, as we've alluded to, backlight, this backlight animation style, backlight compositing was a big part of this. And the technicalities in how they actually went about doing it is so complex. I'm going to play a clip. It's still a bit confusing in the clip, to be honest, but at least it, it throws it all out there, which I can't articulate. Okay. And maybe we can break it down from there, but I'll play the clip. This is from Richard Taylor, who was one of the visual effects supervisors. Dick he Taylor. Kind of, he breaks down this process of what they do once they have each individual frame because it doesn't stop there. There's so many more steps to get to that point of all the glowy, glowiness and all that stuff. Once we had the photography, then those individual frames of film were put into two photorotoscope machines. That is a, basically takes the film, projects it down onto a new piece of film that's a large piece of film, approximately 20 inches by 12 inches. The live action footage is projected on that and then this large piece of film is put through a processor to make high con film. High con film is film that is entirely opaque or clear. So light can't pass through the, the opaque area. So for each one of those frames, we made X number of high con positives and negatives. So a negative of someone with a white costume with black lines on it would be black and the lines being clear. There were basically, for each live action character, uh, an exposure for the main body, there was an exposure for the circuits, there was an exposure for the whites of the eyes and the whites of the teeth, maybe one other pass. So it was roughly five passes per character. Yeah, so getting that the live action printed out into you know every individual frame is just the base and then they do all those things to it. So every individual person had those five layers done to them where they do the fancy exposure, the weird wow. film, the flippity-floppity <laughs> until you get all those different elements. That's quite a visual thing, so I'll put that on the gram. But it's crazy. And so every – so I said 108,000 frames of the live action stuff then times that by five for every character you see on mm. there. But then every individual frame you see on screen, it's minimum five because it has a character on it. But then when you include all the backgrounds and things, it can be up to 25 different layers mm. on that one frame. So it's just thousands and th- hundreds, millions, I suppose, <laughs> millions of layers within frames of all manually done, yeah. which is crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> Isn't it? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> why would you do quite it? quite a team. Yeah, why would you do it? It did take quite a team. Now This feels like a pa- real passion project. It, it, absolutely. Because also seems bizarre that Disney's like, yeah, go for it. Well, I think there was a lot of um, – Let's not tell them everything right away. <laughs> like as, and they just kind of – well, also they didn't necessarily know mm, either. Yeah. So as they did it, there were, I think there were a few moments of like, are we really going to do this? Fuck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the other part of this that I thought was really interesting was the, the backgrounds. A lot of the backgrounds, unless it's a moving thing that is clearly CGI, a lot of the backgrounds were just painted and hand-painted mm. in black and white, black, grey and white, again with light passing through, so using the backlit thing for all the colours and things. And um, there are a lot of imperfections in doing this because frame to frame the quality of the film may differ and yada, yada, yada. So you, you see parts in the movie where like there'll be a flicker of light. That was an accident but then they just add a sound effect to it <laughs> to make it seem it's like it's, a, it's yeah, a, so it gets, 
Yeah, so it's meant. It's like a motherboard. Beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. I love that shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then the fact that they made those hand-painted backgrounds look like CGI made it a bit easier to then blend in CGI. Um, But then speaking of CGI, so this is, again, maybe there's not quite as much CGI as you might think, but there still was a hell of a lot of CGI, especially for the time. So there's 15 to 20 minutes of CGI in the movie. Uh No one had done anywhere near this amount of CGI ever. Obviously it was hard. They had a few little tricks that helped them. So first of all, they didn't have to worry too much about the science of natural light because – there's no sun in this world and everything was a light source so they could kind of make up their own rules, which makes it a bit easier. But as I mentioned before, there was no interface with which to just animate. You can just go up to a computer and open a program and go, all right, this shape, move it here to there, yada, yada, mm. yada. It was all theoretical. It's in DOS. Is it in DOS? Some, probably. So, And there was no you know, companies you could go to. Either. There was no Pixar or whatever. Like there were all these individual bespoke companies that did very specific things. So they had to use like four different companies for very four very different things. So there was one company that was could, could sort of composite basic shapes together. They did the bikes because they were kind of just a circle and a this and a that. And then, yeah. And then the one that could do the more complex shit was doing like the um, the solar sail thing at the end yeah. and the, the big complex moving parts and all that kind of shit. But all these, they all kind of still had to work together too. But the crazy part is how they actually create movement, the animation itself, there was no program that could do it. So they created a master computer? Sort of. Well, one of the main computers they used apparently was, what was it? It was, um, I think it was like they had three megabyte of RAM and 300 megabyte of memory. Wow. <laughs> Two megabyte of RAM, I think. Ooh. And yeah, like a, a supercomputer. 300 megabyte hard drive that's crazy that's crazy and basically it would take 10 minutes to render per frame oh. so bill croyer one of the animators i'm going to play a clip by him in a second but he puts it really nicely basically he says there was no software to make things move there was only software to describe where things sat and so again even though this was cgi they had to quite manually figure this thing out all through numbers so they oh. ended up with just pages of numbers that then someone would have to put into a computer. But I got a clip where he explains that a little bit more than I just did. You had to have a completely symbiotic relationship with the computer technicians. You know, they had never done film and we had never used computers. You didn't, you couldn't have all the tools you wanted because you didn't know what tools you would need. It became this process of learning about what the technology could do and then brainstorming the creative side to use it. There really was no software to make anything move. There was only software to describe where things sat. And if you wanted something to go from here to here, it was literally as simple as, you know, X is four, now X is six, there's two units, and that was that. So suddenly we're faced with a situation of trying to create what we consider to be Disney's quality animation, which meant animation that moved with personality and moved with drama. And we had to do it with no tools. But what was kind of terrifying about Tron is we would we would plot out these very complicated moves. We'd have vehicles chasing each other down irregular canyons with cameras flying through the air and twisting and rolling and diving. And all that had to be done with these very simple graphs. We had to go ahead and break it down frame by frame by frame, increment by increment. Because let's say you've got an object like a light cycle. A light cycle for every frame that it moves, it will need at least six numbers to describe its position. It will need its X, Y, and Z translations to show where it is in space. And then it will need its, its yaw, pitch, and roll 
to describe how it's tilting. So that means for 100 frames, you need 600 numbers of data. 100 frames is four seconds. So you need 600 numbers to describe where it is. Now you can imagine us sitting around writing 600 numbers for four seconds for one thing, right? And we gave these guys at the computer company these exposure sheets with six rows of numbers for every single frame. And they went and they hand programmed them in. They typed them in. It's crazy, man. It's wild. Why would you do it? <laughs> it's insane. And like hand done animation, you're just creating a series of images again. There's no then go export and you got yourself a movie. They had to just bring up each still frame on screen and then use a camera pointed at the screen to capture each frame. So you couldn't even just export it or something. Like filming the TV. Yeah, yeah, basically. And that guy, the only time he would see his animation come to life was then the from that camera on 73 millimeter film or whatever it is on a big screen. And so if you <laughs> want to go back and change something, that's then weeks or whatever to get it all done again. That's crazy. So okay. imagine mapping all this shit theoretically in the clouds of like, oh, yeah, and then X moves to three. What it's the wild. fuck, man? Man, that shit's crazy. My brain hurts. Yeah. Oh, I spent so long going through that shit today, hoping I'd be able to summarize it nicely, but I really can't. But that guy does a pretty good job. Mm. Um, but essentially, again, just to, you know, before we talked about 108,000 frames of live action that was basically then multiplied by however many layers they had. Mm. This was, like he was saying, for 100 frames you needed 600 numbers of data, which is only four seconds of, of animation. It's mm. crazy. That shit's crazy. But yeah, needless to say, I'm thinking about all this shit while I'm watching it on screen and it's like all the nice little touches, like what he says there about, you know, trying to live into the Disney philosophy of animation, everything has to be, you know, lively and all that yeah. kind of stuff. They they do a pretty good job of that. Like it could, I know you zoned out for a few bits, but it could have been more boring. <laughs> <laughs> like it, the bike still goes like this at certain points mm. where it could just, you know, there's artistry in there mm. for sure. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. It's fascinating. Mm. So this movie wasn't, a, this was a bit of a flop really. Yeah, it made money but not, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, um, and obviously grew over time. Mm. Um, I read somewhere, I think it was Variety Mag, was talking, they interviewed the director. Steve-O. Steve-O. Yeah. And he was saying that, you know, it was, I think you touched on it as well, how it wasn't what people were expecting from Disney. Disney, yeah. um, you know, yes, they were in a bit of a rut and wanted to, push some boundaries and try and get a, you know, maybe capture a younger audience, all that sort of thing. Yeah. The challenge they have was that what is innate or inherent with Disney viewing is is a sense of nostalgia and mm. old worldliness yeah. that they love. Yeah. Um, and so when this came along it was a bit jarring Yeah. as a Disney production. I also know they Touchstone was created not long after this and Touchstone uh. was created by Disney to give them a vehicle to create other movies and not – Damage ah, yeah, yeah, the Disney yeah. brand. Yeah. So I just wonder if um, the experience with Tron had any sort of impact on that decision. Probably. I would say so because, yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we did touch it up very briefly but I think there was quite a bit of tension mm. with Disney around this yeah, project. Like this isn't, yeah, well, yeah, we get it but it's not Disney. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and yeah, the, the whole CGI piece. And obviously. even where Disney is now, there's like Disney Disney, but then there's Marvel Disney. Well, they just separate, like, yeah. yeah, they're just different they're brands. Just like, all right, we just, portfolio. Let's just That's right, exactly. Yeah. We can't stick it all under the Disney Disney brand because yeah. it's so specific. Yeah, I didn't realize Touchstone came then. That makes sense because I you forget because we weren't even born. Maybe one of us was mm. just born, but mm. you forget that like, I wasn't enjoying the dots. <laughs> the Disney, what Disney was then? Yeah, like 
I was reading like the last Fantasia hit or whatever was, it was like Herbie the Love Bug. Yeah. That, that was as out there as yeah, it got. Yeah. So very still such a traditional That's right. Yeah, thing. I still don't associate Tron with Disney really. No. Yeah. No, it was a bit like Flight of the Navigator when we did that. That's technically Disney too. Uh-huh. But I guess that was still in this weird identity crisis stage. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Actually, that's not a bad Greg way because we mentioned Pixar and there is a very real connection there. And it's it's an interesting one because mm-hmm. John Lasseter, uh, one of the founders of Pixar, yeah. the, the creative guy, well, they're all creative, but there was, there was the operations guy, Ed Catmull, Ed Catmull and John Lasseter. John Lasseter was... He was the he was the special source. He was the guy at the time of this movie being made. He was working at Disney. Yeah, not on this project. He was what was he working? He was working on Mickey's Christmas Carol. Yep, of course. The, the two of his mates were working on this picture, and were giving him updates and, and showing him shit. And yeah, this was basically the was first. Frothing. This is the first CGI he ever saw. Yeah. So the guy that made the first hundred percent CGI movie, this was the first CGI yeah. clip he ever saw. I was working at the Disney Studios. I was an animator on Mickey's Christmas Carol when Tron was being produced. Two of my friends, Jerry Reese and Bill Croyer, were working on Tron. And they were doing the storyboarding and the choreography, you might say, of the, all the computer animation. They were over in, in one of the trailers, and they had a computer that was hooked via, via phone line back to New York with Magi Synthivision. And my good friend Chris Wedge uh, was back there working on the animation, and he would send over the phone line um, the scenes frame by frame by frame for them to look at some of the early, early renderings. For me, this was some of the very first computer animation I had ever seen, and it was so exciting. The first scene that I remember them working on was the light cycle sequence, and it absolutely blew me away. The guy that made the first 100% CGI film was inspired by this film while yeah. he worked at Disney. Now the irony of this whole thing, this comes full circle because he was working at Disney at the time doing traditional animation and then when he gets to do his own project, John Lasseter, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. he tried to make this thing, the Happy Little Toaster or something and was trying to do it 100% CGI and then it got shut down and he got fired. He got basically. flicked, yeah. yeah. And then the whole Pixar thing happened. Pixar then gets acquired by Disney but it's sort of a reverse takeover where John Lasseter and Ed Catmull Take over Disney. Yeah. Now Disney's doing all this kind of shit. Yeah. John Lasseter is no longer there for some Me Too business. For, but, for other reasons. <laughs> yeah, is it, he likes to hug or something. It turns he out. likes a hug. But isn't that just a weird like 360 weird it's, ironic it thing? It is. In the crazy world of M&A. The crazy, yeah. Actually, and related to this, now this movie has a lot of DNA in common with Wreck-It Ralph, we mentioned. yeah. yeah. But then the other confusing thing is ever since Disney bought Pixar but then Disney did Disney-branded computer animated movies, I've always struggled with the differentiation between a Disney movie and a Pixar movie. And the real outlier is Wreck-It Ralph, which feels like it should be a Pixar movie. Mm. But it ain't. I feel like the Disney ones should be Frozen and, you know, that kind of shit. And anything that is like a lot of the Pixar ones are kind of – bringing to life, I don't know, inanimate objects and like... Like cars? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, cars, but Toy Story, but then even like emotional things like um, Inside Out and then the new one, Soul, like sort of mm. personifying things that don't necessarily live. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Wreck-It Ralph seems Princesses. like it should fit in. Well, yeah, well, Wreck-It Ralph seems like a Pixar thing. Mm. 
I thought it was. Yeah, right? You would yeah. think so. It's weird. Why wouldn't it be? If and someone it, knows. Especially because he's the guy. Bernard or Bernard, if you know. <laughs> but if John Lasseter is sitting as the, you know, chief creative officer at Disney, why is he not going, that's, that's a Pixar movie? Mm. Maybe it's just down to the people that come up with the idea wherever they sit. But you'd think you'd want to differentiate the brands a bit more. A little bit. Yeah. Like the, like you did with the Touchstone Yeah, play. exactly. It just makes sense. Yeah. It just makes sense. Master and brands can be tricky. Re- and, man, watch this. Record Ralph, I mean, obviously it's, I'm sure it's a, it's a knowing inspiration, but, man, there's a lot in common with Record yeah. Ralph here. There's also, um, I don't know if you ever watched a cartoon, a CGI cartoon when you were, when you were young. You did have Optus Vision. Mm. My dad had Foxtel. Vision. Did that have Nickelodeon? Yeah. Did it have a TV show called Reboot? Not that I watched. Oh, I watched it and I loved it. And it was basically inside a computer. I got the opening. Oh, yeah. I loved it. It was a cartoon, yeah? Yeah. I come from the net through systems, peoples, and cities to this place. Mainframe. Uh. My format, Guardian. To mend and defend, this shit. to defend my it. newfound friends, their hopes and dreams, to defend them from their enemies. I loved it. I loved this. They say the user lives outside the, the net and inputs games for pleasure. No one knows for sure, but I intend to find out. Reboot. So it turns out I would have loved Tron because I loved that. Yeah. I think this is – it's probably a point in our lives where the age difference is pretty significant. <laughs> two years. I was probably 10, you were probably 12 and way too cool for it. Yeah, I was right. probably on Rugrats. <laughs> yeah. um, I love that. And in that one it was um, – they had users. <laughs> I loved it. And um, <laughs> I that shit. So if someone played a game in that, it would come down. You saw a big purple square come down. That would come down into the mainframe where, yeah. they, where they'll live. Uh-huh. There, there'll be the user who's like, let's say it's a game like the light bike things. He would be himself, and then these characters would be the people he's versing. But yeah, it was, it was a cool idea. I think it's a pretty cool idea for kids. Yeah. Also, Black Mirror, not a direct, but you know, there's definitely this could be a Black Mirror episode almost. Yes. Um, there are some episodes that get a bit close to this type of thing. Others not so much. Ready Player One. Yes. And yes, I know that was a book first, but that was still in the. 2000s, I think, when it was a book first. And Pixar. A, Pixar, well, yeah, all, kind of all of it. Pixels? Pix, oh, Pixels. Yeah. Uh, film, Adam sorry. Sandler. Yeah, good point. And the South Park episode with the Facebooks and such, have you seen that one? No. Um, I don't have a clip because I couldn't find one, but basically it's one of those It's one of those episodes about Facebook, but then they the way they show Facebook is basically Tron. Stan, gets, Stan tries to close his Facebook account. Oh. And the computer's like, no, you can't do that. I'm bringing you in to the game board or whatever. Oh, cool. And he gets sucked Zapped. in, zapped in, and um, he's <laughs> walking around Tronland or whatever. Yeah. And the same thing's happening. Hilarity ensues. It would. I don't think Stan would stand for that. He, would he be... certainly would not. He was not happy about it. No. No, he really wasn't. Um, but old Randy, he was all over it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an episode I need to get around. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. Hey, on the... On the topic of other movies, if you take it a bit more broadly and look at man versus machine, where does where's Tron landing for you? So okay, okay, if we've got it one end of the spectrum, you've got your two thousand and one, 
Yeah. Space Odyssey, you got your Blade Runner, your Terminators. Yeah. Um, maybe a bit further down you got your iRobot. Yeah. Uh, where, I think Blade Runner came out the same year too. Did it? Yeah, I think mm. so. Where are we? And of course, you got Westworld more recently. Yeah. Where's uh, Where's Tron landing for you in the pecking order of these types of movies? I think Westworld is at the bottom. Yeah. I watch it, but I don't think it's saying anything profound. It's the mm. same old stuff. Mm-hmm. I think Blade Runner is probably at the top. Mm. It, if you're framing it that way, it's Blade Runner is probably the top for me. Mm. Um, but I've got a lot. Of, uh, did you? You didn't do Blade Runner in your School. twelve English, did you? Uh, no. I think it's got it's such a special place in my heart because yeah, of that. You went deep on it. I think it made me realize. Well, it probably wouldn't have a podcast without doing that because I wouldn't have. It made me go, oh, you can like look at movies like this. Yeah, and my, that English teacher was like the one that reached me. Oh, teach. <laughs> you know? Did you call him? Teach? He was like, "Yo, teach, Mr. Smalls." Because and Smalls. His, we don't know his first name was, but his initial was B, so we called him Biggie Smalls. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, he was, he was great. Yeah, I always wanted to track him down. I had a weird he priest. Left a lasting impact. Really? Did you? Yeah, he was. Didn't didn't really enjoy him. Right? Did he? Was it later found out any any issues there? No. Okay. Uh, no. Okay. So, um, yeah, my, my teacher was less weird and was a bit of a legend. So, yeah, that movie, but also because it's a good movie, I think that one's up there for me as like the the pinnacle of this idea of, well, that's probably more of a, what does it mean to be human ver- rather than man versus machine, mm. maybe. Man versus machine, then I guess it's Terminator. Mm. But this one in terms of visual splendor, <laughs> oh, man, number one. Nice, visual <laughs> splendor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about you? What do you, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I like it's a. I respect the film. Yeah, like I won't watch it again. I don't think. Yeah, um, I won't. I'll, I'm going to watch won't Legacy for a while. Yeah, I want to watch Legacy. I'm curious what the story is. I started watching it last night, but I was semi drunk and very tired. I watched the trailer, and the irony of that one for me is it feels more outdated. But yeah. it's still in, it's maybe in the awkward zone still. It's heading into the awkward zone. Yeah, it's whereas this one, anything that's outdated about this. Just now feels Adds like a style, charm. stylistic choice, really. Yeah, yeah. But because um, I think they CGI a, a young Jeff Bridges in the new one, oh. which I don't think that holds up all that well. Yeah, yeah. It was before the deep fakes and such. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And what about the whole Lebowski connected universe? Oh, go on. There isn't one. Oh. But. But. <laughs> <laughs> let's make one. Okay. Yeah. Can you bridge us the gap? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You earned it. Yeah. Um, well, okay, man. So, um, okay, so he gets the CEO job, mm-hmm. but then he bankrupts the company and then goes to lives in LA and drinks milk and smokes milk. Ah, and gets a rug. Gets a rug. Yeah. It would be nice if he if there was some kind of Easter egg that you could draw a connection to. Well, he says man a lot. When he does. He's, actually, there's a couple of bits where it's yeah, like when he's explaining um, when he's exp- when they when they go to visit him at Flynn's and they go upstairs to his bedroom. Oh, by the way, how's his line to the to the guy? Does she still still leave her clothes all over the floor? I'm like, oh, what was that? I can't remember that. Oh, when they all go up to the room and they're sort of like bantering and it's oh, revealed yeah. that she's his ex girlfriend. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Like, that's a really Clever way of saying I've banged your girlfriend. Yeah. He's like, yeah, 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 she does. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, there's weird Lebowski moments coming through. What I yeah, love about yeah. that is like. I loved it. I love that because it just says that that's what Jeff 
Bridges is like. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's him coming that's through. Him. <laughs> Man. Far out. Love it. <laughs> I want to watch more Young Jeff Bridges. I haven't, I think I watched King Kong when I was little, but I don't really remember that. That seemed really boring to me. He's a bit unwell at the moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was popping up a lot and it seemed like one of those things like, oh, fuck, he's not dead, is he? No, no, he's not. He's got lymphoma or something, yeah. which isn't great, but he will, he will overcome. Yeah. The dude. The dude abides. Abides. Um, which we will be doing soon. Yeah, it's coming up after 100 and something. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to do that one. Damn. Damn. Um, what else we got here? I don't really have much else here. Okay. The music I didn't really didn't grab me. It's by a lady called Wendy Carlos. Right, she's um, done a few, she, couple. She's done the, sh- the Shinning, yes, and Clockwork Orange. Ah, uh, yes. Um, she used to be a he. Oh, interesting. Her name was Carlos something or something like that. Ah, oh. um, but I think she's only done those three. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then it doesn't look like she's done much since. Like it didn't. She right. had a she had a bit of a back catalogue in actual music, and then right. did the. The scores and then maybe she just made a dough and has been chilling. Yeah, that fair enough. Yeah. Get a house in Hollywood here. And then she got replaced in the sequel for Daft Punk. Yeah, <laughs> they get them better, faster and stronger. Well, similarly, um, Steve-O didn't direct or write the sequel. He was involved as a producer mm, mm. and he only went on, to, I mean, he's, he's done a couple of movies since. And the I actors, was, I mean, outside of David Warner's mm-hmm. obviously got a bit but, yeah. and obviously the great Jeff. Yeah. Um, the dude. But the other the other is fairly light. Yeah. Could you call it the Tron curse? <laughs> the Tron legacy. Oh, that's ah! better. Hey, I did have a question. Would you say the the inside of a computer was almost the... A character in this film? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. I think I, I would say that. <laughs> what a good movie. Yeah. It was okay. It was all right. Um, should we get into the verdict? Yeah, let's get into the verdict. I don't know what to say, really. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I the law. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. I want to have them answered immediately. You can't handle the truth. What are you waiting for? Ah! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. Nothing further. Your Honor. And that's all I have to say about that. Are you uh, you got a, you got a, fit, a tidbit for us? Your closing, uh, a closing thought. I have a closing argument for this in favour of this movie. <laughs> okay. um, it's not a super tight, pithy little line. It's more just a bunch of thoughts I collected. But uh, I, this is a piece of pop art, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, all films are art to a degree. But this one, I would argue, because the plot is the plot, and it's fine. It's interesting, but yeah. I, this is more like a. 2001 almost, you just watch it and let it, it's not in the same league as that, don't get me wrong, mm. but you just kind of watch it and just let it wash over you and so it's probably okay if you zone out a bit. Mm. I got what I think, happened. I think when I re-watch this I will re-watch it in maybe, uh, I don't know, I come home drunk or Acid. just sort of on in the background. Yeah, <laughs> trying to cocktail of drugs <laughs> to access <laughs> this film on new levels. Um, maybe get inside there with them. <laughs> exactly, inside the computer. Um, but such a weird and unique piece of art. Um, and its pop cultural influence is wide-reaching, of course. We've touched on a lot of them. But as we said, that meta level of knowing everything that sits behind that, I can't separate that from the viewing. So it's just I'm in awe of every frame of this mm. movie because mm. of that. And not just because the 
technically how they did it, but what actually shows up on screen is so wacky and out there and yeah. otherworldly. So pretty compelling for me. Um, I need more time to stew on it, but this movie is like quite up there for me, I think. I don't want to say top 10, probably not top 10, but maybe top 20 or something. Not that I have a formal list or anything, but in terms of a bucket but of if movies. You did. But if I did, it might be in there. It might be. It's pretty significant for me now, I think. Yeah, right. But I've got, got to let it simmer a bit. I watched it last night, so. Are you going to like, you could turn this into the Tron room. It does. It, I, I don't think it translates well as a, as a look aesthetic? that's not dorky. <laughs> yeah, it screams virgin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a, it's not a great. Real world look. I'll save that for hey, you inside uh, the computer. I don't know if you noticed on my on my ceiling, I got a lot of glow in the dark stickers. <laughs> Did you have glow in the dark stickers in your room when you were a kid? Uh, I think I had something of that. I think my cousin had it. I never had it on the ceiling. I had heaps. I had them on the ceiling, on the walls. I had Simpsons ones. I had oh, stars. The, the the one, and then I'd stick stars on my fan. So the fan went round. You can get these cool projector things now. It just yeah. makes sure it looks like a galaxy. That's yeah, so I've cool. heard. I saw it on the ad. There's an energy ad for maybe AGL or something. Uh, and the kids got it and I was like, damn. That shit is cool, man. I've considered this. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm letting my son down by not having that for him. No, no, no. Blow his mind later. Keep it up his sleeve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but how about you? What's your final, where did you land on this? Uh, I respect it. Yeah. Um, sort of maybe like a Star Wars for you or something where you respect it but you're not like. I'm not like a massive Tron guy. Yeah. But, I, you know, I enjoyed the movie. Yeah. I was okay with it. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Is it, yeah, I give it maybe three. Three stars. Three stars. I'd give it, oh, I should have just jumped in right away like a David Stratton. You know how they go. I'm giving it four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm giving it four and a half. <laughs> four and a half. I'm giving it four and a half. Oh, David. <laughs> but uh, to be, I, it's pretty hard to give a score from a first viewing less than 24 hours ago. So I'm probably, I may, I may change that later. Mm. But right now it's, I'm, I'm still in love with you're it. In, you're in the honeymoon. Yeah, I'm in the honeymoon Tron stage. Phase. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So what have we got coming up? Um, oh, wait, one more thing. Oh, sorry. We haven't gone through our things. Exactly. Sorry. And we I'm finally a- got one where Simpsons did it. Yeah. In that classic episode, which we probably all had on videotape, um, you know, taping it on the TV and such. Treehouse of Horrors when Homer went into 3D land and um, he describes it as, has anyone seen that movie, Tron? Anyway, I've no. got a clip. <laughs> oh. Did anyone see the movie, Tron? No. 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 Yes. I, um, I mean, no. No. Did you remember that or did you Google? I remembered because that's, well, actually, that's the first that's- time I ever heard of the movie. I think that's the first time I'd ever heard of the movie. Well done. You should be proud I, of that. I was, I'm proud of you. But I watched that so much that I was always like, what is that movie? That Tron? was a special. Remember, yeah. remember the hype around that? Yeah. Porn parody, yes. Quite cleverly, there's one called Pron. <laughs> <laughs> it's an anagram. <laughs> For what? Norp. Norp. Norp, norp. Yeah, good. That, yeah, I assumed there would be. I didn't bother Googling it. No, Beck test. I thought I, was, I thought I could get distracted, and I was. On a- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was some pretty compelling stuff out there. <laughs> um, Bechdel test. Is it a pass if she kisses both men? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. There's two female characters technically because one's a program and one's a yeah. user. Yeah, 
Laurie and Niori. So you're getting close there. Yeah. Um, FX test, I guess it's a yes. It's a firm yes. Explosions as a subcategory of that. Less so, but I mean, whatever. <laughs> Recast is I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I did read that apparently there's been talks of a remake. Right. Starring Jared Leto. Fuck off. Anyway, that's all I got. Oh, MVP, Jeff Bridges. No, MVP, I'll give it to the all the artists. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's really thoughtful. Yeah, right. That's going to mean a lot to them. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? If you're listening, Bernard. Um, uh, yeah, probably probably Jeff. Yeah. Um, and I didn't – I'll give a uh, low-key MVP to Sark. Which one's that? Is that the Sphinx thing? No, he was just the, the henchman, the main bad guy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He was good. That Sphinx guy is wild. I want to put that on the ground. That's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> it is very bushy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What are we doing next week? There's nothing on there. But I think it's because we've had a lot of reshuffles. There's yeah. probably one that maybe you've you substituted for something we've done. So if you got one, put it back in. It was but, um, Willow, wasn't it? Oh yeah, we could do that. I'll let's. I'm going to find a free one. Okay. So I'll text you tonight because I might even watch something tonight. Yeah, cool. No one listens to this part of the episode anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, we'll see you next week with a mystery movie. Mystery. Mystery. Movie. Movie.